John chapter 1 this morning, three-week series leading up to our Christmas service just on the incarnation. I feel like I've told some of you the struggle with Christmas is, is the American Christmas. We really only have Luke 2 and, and maybe the wise men as far as passages go. But when you, when you brought it out to more than, than just stars in Bethlehem and Bethlehem, and those things, the Bible has a lot to say about Jesus in, in this time of, of year and the season and, and what we celebrate. And so we're going to start in John 1, and John 1, verse 1, we're going to read three words, and then I'm going to make it go all over. Uh, John 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning. Okay, it's not a coincidence that John starts the gospel of, of John this way. And so if I were to ask my two boys uh, sitting in here, like, what do you think of when you hear the words in the beginning? I think my seven and eight-year-old would tell you what you think of Genesis 1, right? That's what John wants us to think. So, so as John's writing his gospel story of Jesus. Here's the story of Jesus according to John. Like, like in the beginning, what is he tuning our hearts to? What is he turning our minds towards? He's turning our minds towards Genesis 1. So I know I said John 1, but flip back to your, your first, first verse of the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis 1. Uh, there's, there's something that I want us to see and I want us to grasp and, and then I, we're going to jump back to John 1, right? So John 1's still coming, just hang in there, but we're going we're gonna to go park in Genesis 1 for a little bit, okay? So here we go. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, right? Same three words. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so, so from one verse, and we're going to walk through more than just one verse, but just in one verse, there's, there's four things that we can take away about the, in the beginning and this God that we're talking about, right? One, he's from the beginning, so eternal, he's, he's before time, all those things, right? Second, he's creative, like he created, so, so this God has some creativity, and we would see that in the world around us today. Third, he's powerful, right? We would say he created out of nothing. He didn't take something and change it. Like he created it out of nothing. And we're going to read through how that looked, but he, he spoke things into existence, like how, how the power that you would possess to be able to do this. And then the last thing we would see from just this first verse, the fact that he created all things means that he's owner. Right? So, so just Genesis 1, John's going to say in the beginning, and he's going to want the reader to think Genesis 1. Okay, so, so what are we going to think when we think John 1? What do we need to think about Genesis 1? Well, just from the first verse, there's a God who's, who's creative, who's powerful, who's the owner of all things, and he's eternal. Okay, so, so that's what we want to put in our brain as we'd go back to John 1, but we want to cover more than just that. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay, uh, formless and void, like, like there was something apparently there, but there was no order, there was no structure. In Hebrew poetry, the words uh, deep and waters often are pictures of chaos. And, and so there's this picture of, of something, but, but it's not put together yet. There's this picture of, of Right, there's, there's waters, there's chaos, there, there, there's maybe something there, but yet it's, it's disorderly. And, and there's another word that I skipped over. What does it say? It says there, there's darkness. And, and so what we see is verse 2 of, of what would be Hebrew poetry of chaos, which would be disorder, which would be not beautiful. And then you read verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
And so from verse 3 to the end of the chapter, we, we read the account of, of God speaking things into existence. And what he's doing is he's taking the disorder or the chaos or the unstructured, like nothing really happening in verse 2. And now he's, now he's putting structure. Now he's, now he's adding things. He's putting order to it. He's putting beauty to it. And so verse 2, there's, there's no beauty. And yet verse 3, he says, let there be light and there was light. And then, and then he parts the waters and, and then he makes dirt and he put, m- puts birds in the air and he puts fish in the seas and he puts humans on. Like, like he starts adding to this. He starts putting things together. He starts making things beautiful so that you would get to the end. And the end of, of Genesis 1, verse 31 says, God saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. Like, like verse 2 wasn't good. Right? Verse 2, no one looks at that and the darkness and these things. And no one says, wow, look at the beauty of that. But you get to the end of the chapter, and, and, and what do you see? You see this God who is, who is good. So not only is he creative and powerful and the owner of all things, but, but he's also this God who would make order, who would take beauty out of dar- who make beauty out of darkness, who would make all things good. Right? Like, like that's the picture that, that we're supposed to walk away from Genesis 1 with. Okay, let me, let me give you this illustration too. There's a, a story, and this story, I, I, I try to find it. And for the life of me, I cannot find it. But someone sent me a video a couple years ago. And, and it's a story of missionaries. And the story took place in 2000s. So don't think like 1900s or really. Like this, this happened within the last 22 years. And, and it's missionaries in South America. And they're trying to go to these different villages of where, where the gospel has not yet gone. And they're flying over a village in South America. And they didn't even know the village was there. Like the jungle is so dense. And there's smoke rising out from amongst the trees. And it was the only giveaway that there was a village. And they marked their spot, and they drove in there, and they tried to befriend the people, and they said it was like going back in time. Like, the people didn't know what cars were. They didn't know, like, other people that didn't look like them existed in the world. Like, they had no reference with the outside world. And, and so these missionaries befriend them. They, they give them a written language. Like, they work with the people to write down their language. And to teach them the language, they start in the book of Genesis. And you get through, through Genesis chapter 1, and they walk through these people. They've never heard the Bible before. They've never heard about the God of the Bible before. They've never heard creation. Like, all these things are brand new to them. And they get to the end of Genesis 1, and this was the people's response. Who is this God? Like, we want to know him. We, we want, like, like, we serve these gods, and these gods fail in comparison to the God that you just described to, to us. And there's this response in Genesis 1 of awe and beauty and glory and, and God, this God, the Genesis 1 God, like you are amazing and we want him. And so in the story of Genesis 1, we actually don't get the name of God. Like in the beginning, God, like that's not his name. It's a title. It's Elohim. It can mean capital G God. It can mean lowercase g God. And they get to the end of Genesis 1 and their thought is what? We tell us his name. Why? Because we want to know him. Right, like, like that, I think, is, is one of the takeaways from Genesis 1. And for us, I, I'm going to say the same thing about John 1 as I am here at Genesis 1. I think the familiarity of the stories of these chapters takes away some of the awe. The awe that a God would, would speak things into existence. The awe that God would take something that, that doesn't look beautiful and turn it into something very beautiful. Right? So, with that being said then, here's Genesis 1. In the beginning, John's going to tie us back to an all-powerful, creative God who owns everything. Right? Like, like we're going to, more than that probably, we could dive into Genesis 1 and park for a really long time. But there's some level, that, that's what we need to remember, okay? So now we're going to go back to John chapter 1. With Genesis 1 in mind, let's go back and now look at John chapter 1. 
In John chapter 1, what do we see? In the beginning was the Word. I, I don't think it's coincidence that it's the Word. Why? Because what did we see in Genesis 1? We saw that God spoke. Right? There, was, there, was, there would be words that proceeded out of his mouth. Like there, there's some sort of word that we would see in Genesis 1. So in the beginning was the Word. What does he say about the Word? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so, so, so again, we see this picture of God who is eternal, who is in the beginning. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that came into being. So what do we see? We see the same God who was in the beginning. And now we see verse 3. He created all things in Genesis 1. John 1 verse 3, he created all things. And there's nothing on this universe that was not created by the one who he calls the word. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to do something that, that's going to be impossible, I know. But I'm going to ask you to not know John 1. Right, just, just pretend like we're that, that, that village in South America that we've never heard of the Bible before. Like, you know what's coming, and, and yeah, I'm trying to build up as John would build up. Okay, but, but, but what do we see? We hear about this God, and we know that he's God, and we know that he's creative, and that he's the creator, and there's nothing in this universe that he hasn't created. Our small group this past, I think it was this past week, we talked about how, how in at America, the America we live in right now, the light pollution at night, like we see very few stars. And what would it be like to read John uh, 2,000 years ago without light pollution and be able to stand outside at night and look up and see the Milky Way? And be like, every little dot up there is stars, and some of those little dots are actually other galaxies or other collection of stars, and as far as you can see, it's just stars on top of stars on top of stars. And you read verse 3 again. Like, nothing came into being apart from him. Like, this God is, like, we say he's powerful because he spoke things into existence, but the fact that we understand things about outer space, that he spoke that into existence. Like, we don't don't understand these things, and he just speaks them into existence. Like, he is creative, and he is powerful. Right, but see the connection. Like, like John's laying down the connection. We're talking about the same God in Genesis 1, the same creator. The same God who's there in Genesis 1 is who John's talking about now in in, in chapter 1 of his his gospel. Okay, verse 4. In him was life. Okay, we didn't walk through this part of the Genesis 1 account, but in Genesis 1, what do we see? We see the one who gives life. Like he creates animals and plants. Like that's life. He creates humans. That's life. You continue in the Genesis story. He breathes in humans the breath of life. Like he has life. So you think in the beginning, all right, back to Genesis. Who, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about a creative God. We're thinking about a powerful God. We're thinking about a God who has life, who gives life. Okay, what else does he say? And, he, and the life was the light of men. Okay, he's going to explain this light. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Is that not Genesis 1 verse 3? God said, let there be light. And what did the light do? The light shone into the darkness. The chaos, the, the things that were not beautiful, the formless and void, all of a sudden, God exposes with physical light. What do we see here in John 1? I don't think it's physical light. I think it's some sort of spiritual light. Like, we think of the context of, of Jesus' life. Like, he would come uh, to earth at such a time period that, that no one's heard from God in 400 years. There's been no new revelation. There's been no prophecies. There's been no prophet. There's been nothing for 400 years. Can you imagine? Like, there's no Holy Spirit living inside of you. There's no completed New Testament. Like, like we don't, like, we have such a, a, a big advantage, I feel like, having the completed text, having the Holy Spirit inside. Like, they don't have that. And for 400 years of darkness, just spiritual darkness, and here's the light who would step into the world. 
Like, like this should be mind-blowing. This should be, I can't believe that this God of Genesis 1 is, is somehow shining light into the darkness of our world today. And the question would be, how is he doing that? Like, how is the God of Genesis 1 going to shine, shine his light into this dark world that we live in? We'll get to that in just a second. Verse 5, depending on your translation, it might sound different than what I'm about to read. But it says the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay, that word comprehend is a Greek word that, that in English, sometimes we don't know what to do with. It literally means to seize or to take hold. Okay, so, so we can understand, this is a New American Standard that I'm reading out of. We can understand why they, want, why they would use the word comprehend, right? Because we would say that, like, like someone just hasn't quite grasped that idea yet, right? Like they haven't quite taken hold of it yet. And so they kind of went that route, but they gave me a note. And maybe your Bible has a note, maybe your, your Bible has a different word altogether. But, but the note in, in my Bible says overpower. Because it could be that we don't quite grasp it, but it could also be the fact that the light can't over, or the darkness can't overtake it. And so studying it out and just the context of where we're at right here, that's what I think verse 5 is talking about. Not that the, not the darkness didn't comprehend it. It didn't, and we'll get to that. But I think verse 5 is saying, like, this light is more powerful than darkness. Like, this light that's come to shine into the darkness, like, the darkness doesn't stand a chance. Okay, so, so we haven't quite got to the, the end of the story yet, right? We, we're working our way to, through John 1. But just stop and think, like, for some of us, we are struggling with darkness, there's sin, there's pain, there's, there's loneliness, there's weariness, like, like there's struggle, there's, there's all this darkness in the world surrounding us, and, and it feels so strong and it feels so powerful, and yet what does John say about the light from God that's shining onto us, that's shining in the darkness? He says the darkness doesn't have a chance. Right? Like, we know the end of the story. We know the end of John. There's going to be, there's going to be a day when Jesus would hang on the cross, and darkness seems to win, and yet three days later, it epically loses again. Right? Like the darkness doesn't stand a chance, and yet so often we feel like the darkness is so powerful. And what is he saying? John's saying, no, remember Genesis 1? There was a God who spoke light into the world, and the darkness didn't stand a chance physically? Well, guess what? This God's come, and he's come to us, and he brings this light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't stand a chance. Like, that is what God is doing for these people. This darkness cannot overcome. Verse 6 and 7, John talks about John the Baptist. Uh, we'll read the verses. We won't necessarily talk about them. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Okay, so there's John the Baptist. Verse 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Okay, so, so verse 5, this, this light is powerful. Why? Because the darkness can't overcome it. And we would say there's spiritual darkness. Like we're going to say that spiritual darkness is powerful. Like, like, if you've ever struggled with some sort of dark feeling and despair, and like somebody said, like, like, we're not saying that's nothing. We're saying there's power there. We're just saying that God's more powerful. This light from God is, is more powerful, right? So, so there's power in this light. But verse 9 is telling something else about the power. That it has the capability of enlightening every man. Like, it doesn't matter what sin you're struggling with. It doesn't matter how far down the road of sin you've gone. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. John is telling us this light is powerful enough to bring you out of darkness. Like, it's powerful enough to, to rescue a child who's in darkness. It's powerful enough to rescue a, a loved one who's in darkness. It's powerful enough to rescue you who might be struggling with darkness. Like, it is the power to enlighten every single person. To bring us out of darkness. And again, like, like, 
just thinking back to their time, like like the spiritual darkness that was in their world. I know we have spiritual darkness, but like not hearing from, from God, not having the completed scriptures, like, like I can't believe the spiritual darkness, and here's this light, like how wonderful and how beautiful and how glorious this must sound. To, to have light that is powerful, that has come. Verse 10. He was in the world. Okay, question. Pretend like we don't know what's coming next. How is he in the world? Like according from, from, from verse 1 to verse 10, he's, verse 10, he is in the world. Verse 1 through 10, how? How is this God who is the word? How is this God who, is, who has life, who possesses life, who can give life? How is this God who's considered light, who would overpower darkness? How, has he, how is he in the world? Is it just light from the sun? Like, like how is it? Like if you didn't know anything here, you'd be asking the question, how? How is this possible? How is this going to happen? John's not giving us the answer yet. He said he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, like to the ones that he created, and those uh, who were his own did not receive him. Like what a, what a, what an unbelievable concept. Right, thinking back to Genesis 1. Like, here's a God who speaks everything into existence. Here's a God who would, who would create man. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, we get God's name. For the first time in the entire Bible, we get the word Yahweh in Genesis 2. And what does that mean? It means he wants to be known. Like, like here's my name. Like, there's gods that people serve all around this world. Uh, in the Himalayas, there's gods that live on top of mountains that are hard to get to, and they've never been there. And like a storm will come and they think they made that God on top of that mountain angry, but no one's ever been there and this God is unknowable. And yet the God of the Bible wants to be known. He's given us his name. Like, like you think, here's the God of Genesis and Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Like he creates all things and he gives us his name so that we might know him. And then you read verse 10 and 11 in John 1 that he comes to this world and he comes to his own and they don't receive him. Like, mind-blowing, right? Like, like, who would read Genesis 1 and see a God who creates beauty out of nothing? See a God who would give us his name so that we might know him, the God that's powerful and creative and owns everything. Like, the, the response to that should be, I want to know you. I want more of you. And yet the response was that this God would come to us and, and, and not know him and not receive him. Verse 12, it blows our minds even more so the other direction. But as many as received him, some will receive him. Like, thankfully, those of us in this room, Lord willing, have received him. To them, he gave the right to what? To become children of God. Even to, to those who believe on his name. Like, okay, now we're going to talk about Genesis 1, and, and, and like, we want to know him, and it's not just that he gives us a relationship. It's not that we get to, to know him, and we get his word, and we get to read about him. Like, he takes that to a whole new level. Genesis 1, creator God of the universe, says, hey, guess what? You're going to be my child. Like you, not only am I going to know each other, like you're part of my family. You get to call me father. You are my child. Like, and again, we're, we're so familiar with the term of being called a child of God that it's not very mind-blowing. But when you think about Genesis 1 and now what John's saying in John 1, like the fact that we are his children should like, man, that's, that is encouragement for every single day of our life. Like, come what may, my God, my Father, like, he does not change. I will always have a relationship with the one who created this universe. I will always have a relationship with the one who, who, who would speak things into existence and cause beauty to rise out of darkness. But again, we, we still haven't answered the question, how is any of this possible? 
Like, like how is it even possible for, for God to come and rescue us? How is it possible for God to come and, and overcome darkness? Verse 13, I should have read this earlier, verse 12. I'll read it now. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so, so we're being born in the family of God. We're children of God. How mind-blowing and incredibly awesome that is. But the question of how is this even possible, verse 14, John finally gives us the answer. How is it possible for all of John 1? How is it possible for us to become the children of God? How is it possible that, that God's going to overcome darkness? Verse 14, and the Word, God, the one from the beginning who created all things, the Word becomes flesh. The, the Word puts on flesh. The Word, the God of the universe, puts on humanity. He puts on flesh. He becomes like His creation. What does it say? It says that He dwelt among us. Like, Thinking about other gods in this world, no other god does this. Every other story of, 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 of a god is that you would work really, really hard and hopefully someday you could appease him and make him happy and do enough good and make enough sacrifices and, and give up enough of, of, of joy or whatever it was, like give up enough of that stuff so that you could earn something from this god. And yet the story of John 1 is that here's the creator god of the universe who creates all things Genesis 1. And what does he do? Is he comes and dwells with us. He doesn't shine light into darkness after the darkness fixed itself. He doesn't wait for the darkness to, to figure out how to create some sort of light so then he could come and be with him. Like he shines his light into the darkness when it was still dark. He puts on flesh and dwells with us when we still had no relationship with him. Knowing full well that those who he created would not receive him. Like this is not a story like any other God in the, in, in the universe. Like the God of the Bible is different than every other God. So the question then is this, what do we do with it? Like, what in the world do we do with John 1 that, that God would put on flesh? Well, I think John's going to give us a little bit of an answer. Verse 14. He says, we saw his glory. The glory as the only begotten from the Father. What do we do with this? Uh, I would say that we, 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 we allow ourselves to see the glory. Like they're saying here, John's saying here, like, like when you saw Jesus and some, some aspect, you saw the Father. You saw the glory of the Father. Like, like you knew Jesus, you know the Father. Because they are one. And so he's saying like this God who would put on flesh, like we've seen the Father, we've seen this, this glory, but he, but he also defines this glory in, in, in two other words. Right? Like we saw his glory. And what was this glory in the end of verse 14? This glory full of grace and truth. That word grace is compassion in this context, right? Compassion, it's pity, it's loving kindness for those who don't deserve it. Right? And what does it say? It says that he is full of. He's full of loving kindness. Again, it's, it's not that he's Genesis 1, creative and powerful and angry. It's not that it's, it's some sort of, here's a God that you have to work really, really hard at and try to appease. No, here's a God who would come and dwell among his people who have rejected him, and he's known as being full of grace and compassion and loving kindness. Second word there, John 14, full of truth. Like we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' you know, longest message recorded in the Bible. Like over and over again, there's truth. Right? Truth of how to live your life. Truth like, like here's life, and, and here's, here's life in Jesus, and, and one's far more abundant, and one's far more satisfying, and here's the truth of how you can have an abundant, satisfying life. 
Here's the truth of how you can have a relationship with the, with the God of Genesis 1. Here's the truth of how you can be his child. Here's the, the, the truth of, of his word, and, and he, he's full of truth. Like, like man, imposters and hypocrites, like, like this is not Jesus. Right? He is full of grace and truth. And so what is our response to John chapter 1? Our response, I think, of John 1 should be the exact same response of Genesis 1. Genesis 1, like, I want to know this creative God who's all-powerful, who owns all things. I want to know more of him. I want more of a relationship with him. I think we get to John 14, and it's, I want to know about this God who would put on flesh and dwell among us. Like, I, like I want to see more of his glory. Like, like, this is so familiar with us that we kind of lost the glory, and there should be this prayer of, like, God, restore the glory. Restore the awe. Restore the fact that I shouldn't be able to read John 1 and not be moved. That the creator God, Genesis 1 God, would come and put on flesh and, 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 and die for me and, and, and overcome darkness for me. Like, like I, God, I want to be moved by your glory. And so for us, what, what, what is the goal for us this morning? The goal, I have two, it's kind of one, but two aspects of it, is that we would see Jesus as glorious. I shared this with my small group. I read in a book recently that we do, we follow, we give our lives to what we think is beautiful. And so the illustration he gave, if you find that house in that neighborhood with that sports car, luxurious car, whatever, in the, in the driveway, if you find that to be beautiful, you will give your life towards it. And you'll, you'll sacrifice time, money, lots of things to get what you find beautiful. Part of my heart is that this morning we would read John 1 and we would look at, look at the Savior, we'd look at Jesus, and he would be beautiful. Like, he would be glorious. Like, the things of this earth would grow strangely dim because we found something far greater. We found a God who's far better. We found something that's far more worthy of our worship and our time and our money and our, our everything. Right, so, so that's one aspect. It's like, may we just be blown away by his glory. May we be blown away that he is beautiful and glorious and, and far greater than any other God and any other thing. But the same side and same aspect of that, man, may we tell somebody. Like, like, and I'm not just saying to somebody who doesn't know it, but like, like man, I want, I want to go to small group this week so that I can remind people in my small group how beautiful and glorious Jesus is. Like I, just don't, I don't want to just, like, I'm in First Chronicles, okay? And, and just, I love First Chronicles because it's part of the Bible. It's, it's a struggle to find beauty and glory in the midst of First Chronicles at times. But, man, I want to find it. I want to find something beautiful about my God in, in the First Chronicles so that I can share with other people. So I mean, I want it for myself, but I want it for those around me. Right? I, I want to find somebody who doesn't know Jesus and say, hey, here's something beautiful and glorious that's worthy of giving your life to. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know that he's better. I know that he's beautiful. I know that he's glorious. And he's, and he's far greater than whatever your life pursuit is right now. Like, he is better. And I just want us to tell, tell, I want us to tell other people about him. Right? I've used this example before. We will tell people about a burrito place that we find delicious. And yet a, a beautiful, glorious God who puts on flesh, we struggle to tell somebody else about. Like, like let's... Let's let ourselves be overcome by the, the glory and the awe of our creator God who put on flesh for us so that we might tell others, not just in, in our small group, but, but our neighbors, those without Jesus, right? May this be us. May, may this Christmas season be about the God who put on flesh and, and what that means for us, and may it be beautiful and the most beautiful story we've ever heard. And then may we tell that story to others.
Let's pray. God, God, this doesn't blow our mind like it should. I mean, Genesis 1, that, that you would have the power to speak things into existence. That you would take formless and void and darkness and, and the waters, and you would take things that are chaotic and disorderly. And, and in just six instances of speaking, there would be beauty. There would be order. There would be very good. Like, God, that, that should blow our mind. We should, we should want to know you more just from the story of Genesis 1. And yet, God, we get to John 1. And you didn't leave us. You didn't just leave us to, to figure out what to do with a God who's creative. You didn't leave us to try and figure out how to save ourselves and how to live this life. But, God, you sent Jesus. That God would become man. That, that you would be with us so that we could, could overcome darkness. So that we could have a life worth living. So that we could see your beauty and we could see your glory. And so, God, I, I just pray that, that you would allow us, that in our thinking, in our minds, in our hearts, that you would allow us to be just minds blown by your beauty and your glory. Minds blown by the fact that you would put on flesh to come and rescue us. God, I pray that this Christmas season, you would give us opportunities to share this story with others. Help us to share it with people in our small group, that we would, in our small groups, we would make your name beautiful and glorious in, in others' eyes. But God, in, in the midst of our neighbors, in the midst of coworkers, in the midst of others who, who've never heard your name, who have never believed on your name, God, may, may your name look beautiful and glorious to them because of us. So give us those opportunities this Christmas season. Give us those opportunities going into next year that we would be able to tell others of this beautiful, glorious Savior who has come. Jesus, we ask that you would come quickly. Uh, we thank you that you came at Christmas. We, we long for your second coming, when you will rule and reign perfectly and, and put things back where they belong. So Jesus, please come quickly. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.